Hello, my name is Jim Gamble. I'm the chief executive of the Innate Group. That's a group of specialist safeguarding companies which include how to be safer online and safe and secure schools and colleges. I'm probably better known to some of you as the founding chief executive of the Child Exploitation and Online Protection Centre. I'm going to talk about a couple of things. First of all, leadership in the field of keeping children safe online and especially leadership for those uh, who have the important role of, of educating uh, our young people. Secondly, I'm going to talk about some of the, the key problems and issues you might face and the strategies to help you deal with that. And, and finally, I'm going to talk about perhaps one of the most difficult things for you. How do you engage with parents? How do you prevent them from abdicating uh, their responsibility when it comes to these difficult subjects? And how do you encourage them to participate in helping to keep their young people safe? So first of all, let's talk about leadership. Leadership in the most simple sense, I suppose, uh, can be summed up in the rhetoric of what you do is much more important than what you say. So for every one of you watching this video who doesn't in fact participate in the use of social media, who hides behind the I don't do social media, then you shouldn't do teaching. You shouldn't be part of the safeguarding community in a school because at the end of the day, the key issue is that you need to understand you need to know what to look for, know what to listen for, and know what to do when a child has a problem that manifests itself in a discussion about something bad in their feed. That doesn't mean they've got a fish supper that didn't taste nice. That means there may be something going on in Snapchat or Twitter or Instagram where things are being said about them, where they are made to feel insecure, where they're made to feel unhappy, where they're isolated. And that isolation, that insecurity will lead them to a space or place in their life when they'll be much, much more vulnerable uh, to other pathways to harm. And when they're online, at night, in their bedroom, those pathways open. Children seek out the friendships that perhaps are inappropriate. They'll engage with people who flatter to deceive. And they'll become interested in areas where they think they can build a mutual interest with other people and belong to something in ways that are harmful. That's why we see across the UK, whether it's Belfast, Birmingham or Brighton, young people who go online who feel vulnerable, who are subject to neglect at home perhaps, who are unhappy in friendship groups. We see them engage online in acts of criminality. We see them seduced into committing sexually inappropriate acts. And also we see those young and vulnerable minds at that particularly vulnerable time in their lives and being open to radicalization. So, what can you do? First thing is take a digital footprint in your classroom, across your school. It's a simple homework that can be done on paper. You simply send the children home and ask them to audit what devices, from the TV to the Xbox to the Wii, do they have in the house that can engage the internet? And once they've done that, you get them to interview mom, dad, or their carer and ask questions about what platforms do they use. We find when we engage with schools, the vast majority of mums are engaged with Pinterest. And you might think, well, that's not a useful piece of information. It's really useful. If your school wants to create products, infographs, send out information that's going to be of interest to parents, do it in a way that is attractive. Do it as something that they would pin. So take that digital footprint of the family. Where does mum, dad or carer go online? Maybe it's just Google, maybe it's shopping sites, maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's LinkedIn. But you need to know that because that will give you a sense of the capability and capacity at home to actually help a child.
And of course you get the child to interview brothers and sisters and then ultimately to complete the same survey themselves. Once that's been done, you'll have a sense of the digital footprint of that family. Bring that into your classroom and you'll be able to build a digital footprint of the class. If you want to aggregate that across your school, you'll be able to identify critically what the four most important apps are, the four most popular apps used by children in your school. That might be Snapchat, Instagram, Kik, it might be Yellow, it might be one of the many apps that children and young people use. The key is that you can't cover all of the apps all of the time. So by carrying out this digital footprint and identifying those apps that your children in your school are actually using, you can concentrate then on making sure they're going to be safe on them. So for example, if Twitter was one of the apps that the children and young people in your school were using, and it's highly unlikely that it is. But if it was, you'd be able to, as part of your pastoral care, say, set an objective that looks at, can all of our children block, mute, and report on Twitter? You'll be giving them the skills that are practical and relevant for them to deal with the contemporary problems they face when they go online. So the first practical step for you uh, is to carry out a digital footprint. Do that yourself. Begin with doing it in your house, in your home. Test yourself. And if the vast majority of children in your school are on Snapchat and you're not, well, that's a problem. You don't need to go onto Snapchat or Facebook or any other social media platform for that matter and make a fool of yourself. But you do need to go onto that platform to capture the experience, to understand the essence of what it is and what it does, and the practical functionality about how do you report, how do you block. Because once you understand that, you'll be in a far better position to engage with children and young people who use it frequently. Another key issue is this. Often we think that because children use these apps in such a frequent and routine way that actually they're experts. Very often what I've found is they're not. They know how to use it. So you pass your driving test and you can drive the car. They know how to use a car, young people. But they don't know how to use many of the things they access in life in the early stages safely. So in a car they'll drive too fast. On social media they'll know all about sharing images but they'll not perhaps have contemplated the consequences of sharing the wrong images with the wrong people, behaving in a way that is inappropriate and opening themselves up to risk. Capacity is always going to be an issue in school. Too many teachers are so busy that there's little they can do outside of try and keep up with the job they were employed for, i.e. educating our children and young people. Within the school, however, there's a team of staff. Whether it's the school crossing patrol, whether it's the canteen staff or the caretaker, you need to make sure that capacity and capability, that understanding, that confidence and competence stretches from the DSL's office right the way across the school. So in school, keep it simple. If you see something that gives rise to concern, you could be on school crossing patrol and the child that skips over the zebra crossing every day is suddenly dragging their school bag across as if the weight of the world was on their shoulders. If you've got concerns and you're worried about that child, you don't need to connect it with technology. If you've got a safeguarding concern, you need to be talking to the designated safeguarding lead. The designated safeguarding lead is a person in whom the entire school should invest. You need to understand who they are and what they do. And when I say invest, what I mean is the school, the principal, the board of governors and others need to invest in the training 
that the DSL is exposed to because they're the single point of contact. They're the internal expert that you will be able to go to. And the more you invest in their training, the more they understand about the importance of the context of a child's life with regard to neglect, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, with issues linked to technology and how that can exacerbate or aggravate other factors that a child is struggling with. The more they build their understanding and their knowledge, the greater sense of reassurance you're going to have when you go to them. So building capacity, it's important to invest in your designated safeguarding lead. So let's look at a couple of simple, but unfortunately too often familiar scenarios. Image sharing. Sexting within and without schools is a huge issue. It impacts on the life of the, of, you know, the vast majority of, of families at some stage, whether it's just that parents worry about it or whether it's not that a child in a family that they know has been involved in an incident, it creates anxiety. That, and that anxiety is never more focused when a child has actually shared an image of themselves. The law doesn't always help in these situations. Where anyone shares an image of a child below the age of 18, that's an indecent image of a child below the age of 18, they commit a criminal offence, even if they are a child themselves. What we do know and experience has taught us is that you need to differentiate between that which is illegal and that which is simply a fundamental judgment issue. So children will make mistakes. So if a child in your school below the age of 18 engages with another child and they share images together, that's through mutual consent. So a young boy and a young girl feel that they're in a meaningful relationship and one shares an image with the other. Technically they've committed a criminal offence. Telling them that as a deterrent message is not healthy in my opinion. Because when things do go wrong as they inevitably do, children aren't encouraged to come forward because they think actually they're going to get in trouble. So putting sexting in context is really, really important. So first and foremost, what's happened is the National Police Chief Constables Council, the NPCC, have recognised the problem in this and the anomaly that on the one hand we want children to come forward and on the other we're actually saying you've committed an offence. So they've created in agreement with the Home Office and others what's called Outcome 21. And the UK Council for Child Internet Safety has produced some really good guidelines around this. So read those. In short, however, if a child shares with another child in a mutual consent type relationship a picture of themselves, whilst they've technically committed a criminal offence, they've simply been involved in what is an error of judgment. The key issue for you when that is exposed, when you hear the rumour in school, when a parent comes to you or a child themselves, is to deliver the earliest possible meaningful intervention. Early intervention is key. So when you talk to children about image sharing, say to them, what goes online doesn't have to stay online, because that's the truth. If you've lost control of an image that you've shared and it makes you worry, if it makes you feel ill, if it makes you feel anxious, if it makes you feel desperate, the best way to deal with that is to tell an adult you trust. So you want to encourage children to come forward by telling them the truth. The sooner you come forward, the sooner this can be fixed. And very often it can be fixed. Very often the image can be tracked down whilst it's still in WhatsApp group. Very often the image, even if it's gone online, can be digitally captured in what's called a hash code, a digital fingerprint. And that digital fingerprint can be put online uh, with all the major search providers and all the big social media sites so that if the image itself comes through the pipe 
that feeds their system, it'll be blocked. So what goes online doesn't have to stay online. The key is early intervention. So encourage them to come forward. Secondly, explain that if something goes wrong, it doesn't matter what the law says, technically, the police and everyone else will simply want to make them safe. They'll simply want to help resolve this issue. They'll not prosecute them. And actually the law has been adapted to capture the information about it in a way that results in no further police action. So really important that children understand they're not going to get in trouble where they've made a simple error of judgment because they've shared with someone they thought they were in a trusting relationship with. Now, the difficulty comes, of course, whenever my girlfriend in school who's 15 shares a picture with me in school and I'm 16 and that's all about mutual consent. But actually, now that we have broken up, I'm going to share that image with my friends as an act of anger, an act of revenge, whatever it might be. The only way you can really deal with that, because there's a malicious intent there, and I'm not saying that young person who's being foolish and immature is a sexual predator, but there's a malicious intent. They're responding in anger. They're responding because they feel hurt. Um, so you need to engage the police at that stage. You need to engage the police and you need to explain what's happened because they are best fit to examine the technology, the devices that have been used to identify the image and actually to track and recover it. That's not about criminalizing children, it's about times and places when multi-agency partnership is really important. Talking about the police, the time to engage them isn't in the heat of crisis, isn't in a moment when everyone is focused on the problem. It's the relationships that you build with them through your multi-agency engagement in the weeks and months that go by when you're not involved in crisis. So have these conversations about sexting, about responses to it, so that when it does happen, you're able to cascade your response out through social care with the family, with the police and others in a much, much more effective way. The other issue we all face, of course, is the fact that some individuals will go online and they will either, you know, by deception, pretending to be younger than they are, or because they've identified a vulnerability in a child that they can exploit, engage them and encourage them to share an image. And that's a real problem uh, because these people are masters at what they do. They make the child feel complicit in keeping a secret. And once they've done that, it's very difficult to engage the child to recover the image or to identify the person that represents a threat. In those situations, a crime is being committed against the child. So when you're talking to them through pastoral care, when you're engaging with them, making sure they understand that if that has happened to them or to a friend, that they are a victim. Then again, the sooner they come forward, the sooner you engage with a designated safeguarding lead, the sooner there's a multi-agency safeguarding response, the better. If you fear, if you suspect that a child has been engaged by a predator, then you need to engage your DSL and they need to, need to engage the multi-agency team. And it will not always be clear. We'll not always know that a child's been engaged. If we did, it would be easy. But you're the people, whether you're in the canteen, whether you're the caretaker who walks past them in the corridor, that notices these changes in demeanour. You're the people that hear what's being said about the school and there are no real secrets. You'll pick up the gossip when something's being said about someone being in trouble. That's the time to bring it to the DSL. You're not going to hurt anyone by making a sensible, discreet inquiry with the designated safeguarding lead. Prevention, of course, is much better than cure. So finding strategies that work so that you can engage children and young people in a way that's 
you know, contemporary, credible and relevant is really, really important. That's why at the beginning I've said you need to be on that social media. You need to understand how the safety settings work. You need to understand issues around privacy, what works and, and, and what doesn't. So if you want to engage with children and young people, be credible. You won't have to wait very long until something happens in the news, a child's image shared on Instagram, a live feed through Facebook Live. All of those issues where embarrassment becomes stigma, stigma and the shame around it pushes a child to a place where they're going to self-harm and perhaps worse. So the best thing to do is to take those awful incidents, anonymize them to a degree if you can, but in my opinion, they're more powerful when you bring them into the classroom. If something's happened and it's been on the news, whether it's Ask FM and a child feeling so isolated that they harm themselves, or an incident on one of the big social networking sites where something awful has been live streamed, or where somebody bullying a child has put a picture of them up, take that when it's in the news because it'll be in their news feed, it'll be on social media, take it into the classroom. Don't embarrass young people by saying, would you ever do this? Are you on this particular site? But open the engagement and the conversation in terms like this. How would we feel if this had happened to one of our friends? Friendship is key. So get children to begin reflecting as a friend on how they would feel if this incident on Ask FM had happened to one of their friends. Ask them to discuss as a group how they think the safety settings could have been altered or changed or the existing ones applied that would have made that person safer. What advice would they have given them if they were one of their friends? And collectively, in that open discussion, who could you go to to talk to? What could you do to help them at the earliest possible stage? And if you do engage in that type of group work with your young people, then cascade that home. Send those homeworks out that pull the parents into the conversation. Because I've been to too many parents' evenings where too few parents turn up, and those who do are the parents you don't actually need because they're already engaged. So use the child as a conduit back into the home. And I know some of you will shake your head and think, well, you know, you don't understand this because some of the parents uh, won't get involved anyway. Well, you know what? You're not going to win all of the battles all of the time, but you can try. So let's say, for example, we've dealt with the case of Ask FM. We've looked at self-harm. In fact, you may have looked at suicide of a young person in class, asked how they felt about that. The homework is about comprehension. The homework is sending that case study home and the parent you know, working with the child to identify in two paragraphs who they'd recommend their child would go to if they needed help. That engages the parent and child, the carer and child, in a constructive conversation where the parent or carer has the opportunity to say, you can come to me. No matter what happens, wherever it happens and however, you can come to me and I will help you. Those type of homeworks force a focus and reflection on key critical issues because the case studies you, you're using come from the news. They're contemporary, they're credible and they're relevant. And always do your own research. So if something's in the news, do a little bit of research. Use that well-known academic Dr. Google. Go online. So when you hear about blue whale, for example, be careful that you're not being sucked in by fake news or by exaggerated news. Do a little bit of homework first so you've got some facts and figures. So as you begin to make decisions and build strategies about how you're going to educate 
your children and young people, you're doing it on the basis of at least some understanding. Blue Whale is a really good example because when it broke, the story was massively exaggerated and actually schools unwittingly sending letters home with children talking about it in the classroom simply fed the curiosity that children and young people naturally have. And what we saw at Anik when we went online and were monitoring some of the sites in Russia were lots of UK IP addresses, young people going on trying to seek out this game they'd heard about called the Blue Whale. So think, research, build a strategy about how you're going to engage uh, children and young people and seek advice because there's lots of it out there. And try and make sure, of course, that the advice is credible. Working with parents is never, ever easy. You know, parents, in my experience, and I speak for myself, abdicate their responsibility. They push it to other people about keeping their child safe. And very often when their child is in harm's way, when there is a critical safeguarding issue, if it's not driven or caused by the parent, the parent will be afraid, they'll be anxious. And sometimes that manifests itself in an angry engagement at school because they're wanting to blame someone. They're wanting a quick fix solution that you can't always give. So engaging with parents is really important. Using the child as a conduit to deliver homeworks that they collaborate with their child in are really important. So choosing those ones about safety settings, creating safety settings audits, really important. If you look at Facebook, for example, you can easily identify what the best settings are. You then send that home when you get the child to fill it in with the parent to say what safety settings they are using. And where they're not using the best ones, you provide a column where they have to explain why not. The parent then signs that. So at no stage in the future is the parent actually going to come back to you and say, I didn't know my child was on Facebook and you did. Think about the digital certificate I mentioned at the beginning. When that comes home, when that audit sheet of all of the technology and devices at home, of all of the platforms collectively that the family are on come back, the parents should have signed that as well. So you're helping them by forcing their focus into these areas to better understand what their children are doing and where they're going in this online digital space. So engaging them is critically important. Go back to your digital footprint. What are the vast majority of parents on? If lots of them are on Facebook, are they engaged with the school on Facebook? Are you sending messages that are contemporary, credible and relevant? Things that mean something, things that they will value to them. Does your school use an app? Have you got push notifications that you're able to send out to alert parents to the fact that the blue wheel game is actually more exaggerated news than fake news or real news? Are you using technology to engage your parents? And are you using the DSL properly? Because if you have some concerns about a child, actually sometimes the parents aren't the first port of call. The DSL could be. Because in many cases, in real life and in the real world where we all live, you know, children and young people at home are unhappy because of they have very, very poor relationships with their parents. And sometimes some parents represent significant problems in their young people's lives. If you look at the Childline statistics for last year, you know, the number one reason young people phoned Childline was low self-esteem. Number two was because they were unhappy at home. So remember, if you're a teacher, it's not easy. If you're a member of school staff, it's not easy. 
we expect too much from you because you have a frequent and routine relationship with children and young people. You see them probably more than anyone bar their parents and closest friends. So there's a massive weight of responsibility placed on you. Make sure your designated safeguarding lead has all of the right training, is exposed to as much of the awareness programs as they can sensibly be within and without the school year. Make sure you build your relationships with local police so that when you need to engage them, you're not overreacting. Make sure you use experiential learning opportunities when something happens in the real world in the news that you can then reflect upon. And make sure you get online. So let me finish with this. I had a, a call from a school not that long ago uh, where a child had posted an image of herself. A child with some very complex issues in her background had posted an image into the online space. Uh, and that image was inappropriate. Now, the advice of the school was make a report to the social networking site uh, to have it taken down. And they come back within a very short period of time to say the social networking site have looked at it and said that it doesn't actually uh, breach their terms and conditions of use. And that's not unusual, and I'm sure many of you will be familiar with that experience. In most social networking sites, when you make the first report, there's no room for narrative because it's actually read by artificial intelligence that looks for particular issues. When that comes back in most social networking sites, you have the opportunity to reply. That gives you the opportunity to write in text format and reflect on the context of the issue. So in that particular issue where you write, this child um, has self-generated this image, and whilst you may not think it breaches your nudity guidelines, uh, because certain parts of the body are not on display. The fact that the image is up there, the fact that the child is being bullied and tormented over it, is having a significant impact on their mental health and you fear for their health and well-being. That gives you the chance to reply to them in a sense that puts the issue in the context of a child's real life. Sign up to our professionals and parents newsletter and we'll keep you up to date with information when it's important. We'll make sure you get the right information, whether it's about sexting, whether it's about apps like Yellow or Musical.ly. We'll keep you up to date. Thank you.